what I want to do is get into Philippians chapter 2. It'll take you just a bit to get there. And so, in that first chapter, there are several verses I want to mention. First, um, the scripture goes, I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul's making this declaration. He says, whatever's been started in you, you can plan on it going forward and developing in Christ. Which is a powerful idea for me in that it doesn't put any qualifiers in there except for what got started. And so it's not, you have to be smart, you have to make all these, you know, incredible choices, you have to be around this group or have this stability. It doesn't say that. All it says is that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I love that for myself, I love that for others. It's an awareness that Whatever's been started, I can trust God to take it forward. There have been plenty of times when I felt incapable or insufficient, and this verse stands out and says, but it's going to be okay. What a wondrous thing. So that's, that's one of the verses in that first chapter. The second one is that for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Paul's sitting in jail again. He's in a Roman prison this time. When this book, or when this church started in this community, he got thrown in jail. The jailer ended up coming to the Lord, and part of the church was formed out of that household. So he's sitting in jail. He's recognizing that he may die. Here we go. He's recognizing that he may die. And... In that, these death or near-death experiences sometimes cause us to really evaluate where things are going. I've talked to people after car crashes, and they're kind of, I need to change the way I've been living. Or you talk to somebody that's come through a significant disease, and they're going, you know what, I need to take care of some things here. And why? Because they've, they've dealt with their mortality, and they're going, I know there's more. So I know that I need to direct my life as if that truly is in place. And so Paul, in this setting, he's dealing with his mortality again. He's, he doesn't know whether he's going to get out or, or if he's going to be put to death. But in that moment, he's saying, these are the things that are really important to me. So he goes on in that chapter, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, these are the things that are important to me. And he says, I, when I come to see you, whether or whether I still remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. That phrase, side by side, to me, is when I think of it, I think of like the military, you know, moving together. Or when you talk about working side by side, it's that idea of we're accomplishing this tax together. So what's he declaring in regard to the community? He says, I want to hear that you're working side by side for whatever's going on with the gospel. So that when we come together, it's not just about taking care of us. 
but it's also looking around the community and saying, these are the people that we live life with. These are the people that we're connected with for all of life. When you think about it, if you're going to live eternity and you're going to go on and on and on in relationship, there are certain things that need to take place that that's going to be a good experience, right? If you're going to live forever with people, it would probably be best to learn some, some key things about getting along and working together. And so in a sense, what we're being prepared for now is eternity. What we're attempting to live now is from an eternal perspective. It's as if we're going to be with each other for all of life and beyond. <laughs> well, nobody ran out right now, so that's good. <laughs> so I can't handle being with you forever. Uh, no, but it, just consider that. What if, what if these family relationships were centuries long? How would it be different? Well, if I'm living toward eternity and I'm wanting to take heaven's values now, then these things become very, very important. He goes on, he says, For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer. Uh, you, you know I'm encountering the same conflict that you saw me face to face with now here that I'm facing. He's going, yeah, I'm in jail again. And he, tell, he recognizes some of them are as well. But he's saying suffering's a part of life. Prepare for it. Plan on it. Okay, chapter 2. This is, now we're at the message. That was all. Getting ready. Getting the mic going, you know. Okay. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit, having one purpose. So if you're gaining anything of value out of this, if you're encouraged at all, if you're feeling any fellowship in the spirit, you know, if you're sensing the presence of God in you, you know, he just lays out these general things and it says, then what? Do your best to be of the same mind, same love, united in spirit. That's the goal together, having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should be in humility, be moved to treat one another more important than yourself. So selfish ambition and pride are on the opposite side of the scale of this, right? But regularly we find ourselves moving in those spheres. The thing of I want to accomplish, I want to get this done, I want to achieve this, I want to attain these things, at times runs in conflict with what we're being called to in Christ. And to sort that out and come to terms with how do I live in community is something that we have to work on together. Um, I was thinking about this in relationship to, to churches. 
it seems to me that over the years, churches have spent a lot of energy defining themselves by how they're different from other churches. That's a, a dangerous place to be. That's a, that's a divisive thing rather than a unifying thing. And so when we, when we talk about even this place, the goal is not to say, well, we do this different than others as a part of the initial explanation. You know, the, the fact that we honor Christ as our Savior, that we recognize that it was His sacrifice that brought our salvation, and other churches are doing the same, that's a unifying thing. When we acknowledge that we're all trying to go forward in Him and accomplish the works of His kingdom, again, that's a unifying thing. So part of the challenge is to not only acknowledge others as, as being um, sufficient in themselves, so to speak, or, or we are cooperating together, it's like taking that step forward and saying, sometimes I need to do things that will benefit their development and, their, and assist in their projects. That's, that's where this goes forward, right? In other words, don't just come participate in ours, but let's also be willing to assist others. There's another part of this. It's like, then you, if you turn it inside, when we're gathering together, it's not about just um, defining ourselves by our building or by our music or by our budget or by our program, those are all secondary to the relationships that are being welded together through life. And so, you know, even though we attempt to move toward excellence in all those areas, we recognize that is not the key to what binds us together. That in our relationship to Christ, we are also called to serve one another. Take this into marriage, the contrast between selfishness and, and working together. It's like at times I'm convinced that a lot of people don't even know what their spouse desires because it's all about them, wanting to achieve what they want. They don't really care what the other wishes for because it's about getting what I want. And if I give up my dream, then, you know, why bother? And yet, there is this thing of saying, we, we became one. And so it's crucial that I understand their needs and desires as much as my own. And to begin to just sort that out and ask, what are you hoping for? What would be your wish in this? It's a beautiful thing if you hear the others say, I really want this dream to come true for you. I really want to see this happen. It's something that gives us that, oh man, together we can make this happen. But it takes that, what do you desire? What do you hope for? What is your wish? Not just my own. Some of you know that I've been talking with uh, a number of families lately, kind of on this whole thing of how do you train children out of selfishness? Because 
It's there from the beginning. You can argue if you want, but you're not going to convince me it isn't. And I've seen babies insist on having their way. But how do you begin to move a child away from that? One of the suggestions I, I uh, had made to some families when this started whirling around in me, it's like, maybe you should at home plan on your, working with your children and say, what do you know about so-and-so? What do you, would you like to know? Or if they have trouble coming up with something, say, I'd like you to go ask this person this question and listen. In other words, you're teaching them to hear others' input rather than just give their own. It's not just, I want to do this, come join me. But it's listening and saying, okay, they like this, or this was their, uh, you know, this is what they do. It's a, it's a simple thing, but it starts moving them away from that selfishness. In the same way, gift giving becomes huge, right? You know, where you begin to say, we give gifts, and part of it, it gives great joy to us in blessing others. And so I want you to be a part of this. And it, it doesn't do good just to verbalize it, and, but let them see you doing the same thing. In some ways, I encourage families, teach your children to tithe early on. What is that? It's saying that not all this money should stay in my hands. Some of this goes out to other things. And when we give gifts to others, it's like we don't, all of this placed in our hands, God didn't just place it for our consumption, but he placed it here that we can bless others as well. We're a part of community and so we're moving beyond just ourselves. We're seeing things with a bigger picture. We're desiring to, to see everyone live in health and well-being. We're desiring to, to see their lives blessed as well and see them prosper. It's an extremely important value. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but also the interests of others. Part of that comes with even asking them, right? <laughs> what are you interested in? It's a starting place. You should have the same attitude toward the, one another as Christ Jesus had, who, though existed in the form of God, did not record equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, looking like other men by sharing in human nature. So he, he immediately draws us to the example of Christ and says, he was with the Father. He chose to come to earth. He chose to, to be part of the creation. It's like when you look at a bug and you're, and you're going, I'm glad I'm not that bug. And yet, in size comparison, or capability comparison, it's like becoming the bugs to help the bugs out. It just, it's mind-blowing to think that he would walk that through. But that was part of his obedience to God 
And so he's asking similar obedience of us, saying this was the example set. Now we commit our lives to a similar thing. It says he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the declaration that Paul's making as he's sitting in jail, not sure whether he's going to live or die, is saying this is worth even dying for. This principle is worth dying for. Humbling of ourselves, pouring out our lives that the gospel of Christ might go forward. He says it wasn't left there though. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, Jesus humbled himself, but then he was exalted by the Father who saw that obedience and rewarded it. And the implication is there is that our eternal hope is settled with him as well as we pour out our lives. Paul wasn't the only one to address this principle. I'd like to use uh, out of 1 John a few verses. It says, We know that we've crossed over from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. Interesting concept. He's saying we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We weren't even alive until we learned how to love others. If we want to define whether we've stepped into what God has for us, part of that measurement is whether we love well. Powerful idea, isn't it? You know, to say this must be important to these guys if they're talking in these terms. Says we've come to know love by this that Jesus laid down his life for us, thus we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. But whoever has the world's possessions and sees his fellow Christian in need shuts off his compassion against him. How can the love of God reside in such a person? Says it's impossible. Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. So again. The Apostle John carries this same idea forward. Now, unless you think this is uh, just a New Testament concept, um, I'd, I'd have you go home and read Isaiah 58. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. But the question comes up, Israel is, is wrestling with, why isn't God listening to us? We're fasting, we're doing lots of religious things. And it doesn't seem like anything's taking place. And uh, he says, they seek me day after day. They want to know my requirements. They ask me for just decrees. They just want to be near God. He says, that's the lip service that's coming out. But he says, in lifestyle, it ain't happening. He goes, why don't you notice when we fast, we don't pay attention... Why don't you pay attention when we humble ourselves? You know, he says, look at the same time you fast, you satisfy your selfish desires. You oppress your workers. Look, after your fasting, it's accompanied by arguments, brawls, and fistfights. He says, that doesn't work. I've heard that 
people fasting are often grouchy. <laughs> this was going a step forward, wasn't it? Um, in that same passage, is this really the kind of fasting I want? Do I want a day when people merely humble themselves, bowing their heads, putting on sackcloth and ashes? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Remove sinful chains. Tear away the ropes of burdensome yoke. Set free the oppressed. Share your food. Provide shelter. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. Later in that same passage, he comes back and says, Then your light will shine like the sunrise. Your restoration will arrive quickly. In the 14th verse, Then you will find the joy in your relationships to the Lord, and I will give you great prosperity and cause crops to grow in the land. So he, he says, take care of these things and then know he, that I promised you that I will take care of your life. So just a, a bit of a recap. You and I are in a journey together, not individually. We have the example of Christ. We know that he died for us. We know that he humbled himself and became part of humanity. And so with that in mind, we look around and we say, God, help me to truly live as a part of community. Let me walk side by side with others. Let me see when there is a need and do my best to see that taken care of. It's a branching out. It's a commitment to say, I am not going to take every penny that comes into my to my possession and use that for myself. Some of this is going outward. Of the time that I have, I am not committing all of that to my projects, but it is going outward as well. Knowing that we are called to this together. It's a powerful, powerful thing, but it's complicated to live, isn't it? <laughs> to just say, okay, Lord, what do you desire? That's a scary prayer. But it's appropriate. And it's appropriate to say, if I haven't been consciously participant in this in recent weeks, then maybe I need to make conscious effort to do something different. And I need to at least pick out an individual or a family or something of this nature and commit myself to serving something that they desire. Anyway, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. We thank you that you've brought our lives together. We, th we thank you for the community of believers throughout this region. We ask, Lord, that you'll develop in us a mindset that sees us living together. Living together as a kingdom of God, living together as a community, living together as families. Lord, develop us in a way that's pleasing unto you. We recognize your example. Now move us forward in living a life of love with others. Amen. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. And discover with joy what it is to walk together, one in mind and spirit in you. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.